my girlfriend had passed away from uh, leukemia. And I decided to team up with Team in Training, which is the fundraising arm of the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. Again, that was a, it was not like, I want to run a marathon. It's that I want to do something in memory of my friend, something that was meaningful and raise awareness and raise funds. And then I ran the Chicago Marathon in 2006, which was, I, I think if I had to put it, yeah, it's easily the best experience of my life. And it's, it's just, it was, uh, like I said, it was kind of what, introduced me to charity running and running for those that can't. And at that time it was very focused on my friend and she couldn't run. And so I ran in memory of her and it drove me all the way to the finish. I don't think I had a particularly great race. My time was nothing to speak about, but I ran it and it was fun and it was meaningful. And I decided, well, I really like charity. I like to run for charity or for, whether it's an actual fundraiser to raise dollars, it's just about the why. It's about running for a, pur a greater purpose. It wasn't just about me anymore. So it really kind of spiraled into something bigger, which has just spiraled. It's just kind of taken over my whole running. It's like I always run for, I run for me, but I like to run for others. And that's always super important to me. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 66 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. In 2006, Karen Reems, the Happy Mama Project, lost a dear friend to leukemia. She founded Joggin' for Jen, and over the next four years, raised $10,000 plus for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society by running half and full marathons. Her key race was the 2006 Chicago Marathon. Karen trained for and ran that race for Jen, and for all those that couldn't run. Karen had found her why and discovered running for a greater purpose. During the pandemic, Karen felt like she was running around in circles and feeling a bit rudderless when she learned of Riv's plight from his brother Jacob and took to heart something he had said. Let's breathe life into Riv's by running, walking, and moving our bodies. Karen hired Jacob as her coach from Team Peak Run, and he taught her to focus on effort and time, added variety to her paces, and to trust the process. For the past 18 months, Karen has put all her energies into spreading awareness and raising funds for Team Rivs and completed the PRP virtual series of races spanning from 25K, 50K, 50 miles, and 100K, which also benefited bigger than the trail. And most importantly, she managed to stay healthy under Jacob's coaching. Karen and her husband, Patrick, had a five-plus year in vitro fertilization journey to have their children, Baxter and Kennedy. Because it was such a rough uphill battle to get pregnant, Karen poured every last ounce of herself into being the best mom. Ultimately, that took a big toll, and she lost herself along the way. Her husband insisted she schedule 10 minutes a day for herself, which slowly grew to an hour, and thus, the Happy Mama Project was born. Soon Karen was running again, which had always helped her manage her anxiety. While homeschooling during the pandemic, her kids helped out too, suggesting when mom needed to get in a run. This part will resonate with all the moms out there that we love who take on so much for their families. We discuss family life, youth sports, swimming, running, and triathlon. Her mentors, Coach Showers and Coach Holm. Running for a greater purpose, jogging for Jen. Team Rivs, Bigger Than the Trail. 
the new coach and positive changes made with Coach Jacob Puzzi, the Happy Mama Project, Anxiety, and how Running for Rivs galvanized so many in the running community. I'm so grateful for Karen coming on and sharing her inspiring story. I hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Good morning and happy new year, Karen Reams. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Happy new year. Happy new year. Can you believe it's 2022? I cannot. I cannot. And it's the morning. It's a 10, it's 1041 East Coast time. For all of my friends who know me, they're like, what <laughs> are you doing? Like usually I'm not even awake or doing anything before noon, not a run. And I'm doing a podcast on New Year's morning. So you know, <laughs> you know you're important, girl. This is big. You know, we had to, we had to pull this off. And we all have crazy schedules. I know you got a lot on your plate. You're going to a wedding today. You're doing all sorts. You're on vacation right now, right? The family, you guys are traveling, right? Yeah, we're tra- we're only about 45 minutes north of where we're currently living. So it's like we're kind of on vacation, but we just needed to kind of get away for so we rented a beach house um, on Singer Island in near West Palm Beach, you know, Florida. And um, so we're just kind of here for the week, chilling. Nice. Singer Island's beautiful. It's beautiful there. Um, is that your first time there? It is my first time. I mean, I've been coming to South Florida my whole life. Um, my parents live here. My family lives here. And now we live here. Um, but I've never been here to Singer Island. So it's 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 neat. It's fun. So just a, kind of a sleepy little, you know, island town. Um, but it's it's nice. Good description. Sleepy. And you know what? It's a perfect place to start a new year. You can just be like chill and, you know, recharge and reset. Um, because if any man, if we lived through one tough year, it'd be one thing, but we've gone back to back, man. It's been belly to belly as my, as my favorite, uh, Yankee sportscaster, John Sterling likes to say when two guys in a row hit a homer, it's back to back, belly to belly. It's been back to back, belly to belly of two of the most insanely difficult, challenging years and are in the history of civilization, man. And we're all just like trying to hang on at different points. Yep. <laughs> and uh, a lot of what we're going to talk about today is just like how running like keeps us together, man, and helps us keep it together and um, try to be the best version of ourselves. But um, for everybody at home that doesn't know you, how about just like a little intro on like where you grew up, what family life was like, just a little bit on yourself. Sure. Uh, well, first of all, I'll try and keep it short because I if you do know me, you know, I tend to chat just a little bit. Um, but in, in short, I grew up in a, in a kind of a medium sized town about an hour, hour and change Northwest of Chicago. It's called Rockford. Um, some people have heard of it. Some people have not. I usually just am from the Chicago area. Um, but it was about a medium sized town and kind of where everybody knew everybody, but yet it was still pretty big. Um, I have a kind of a small, uh, immediate family. I have one brother. He's younger and um, two wonderful parents. And I have a very large extended family. And I was blessed to grow up around many cousins and four grandparents and three great grandparents. And so family was kind of everything. So it was, it was just kind of a pretty normal childhood and, you know, just nothing, nothing too spectacular, but everything was perfect as, as far as I was concerned. So love it. So Midwest, big family, um, not in terms of your, it was just you and your brother, right? So it's just two of you and your own family, but just lots of cousins and 
grandparents and the big extended family. So big usually means loud, noisy, big energy. Was that the case with your family or? Yes, it was. Um, you know, I just think back to holidays, which my kids don't really have never really experienced because we've never really lived by family until just this year. Uh, but our our Christmases and Thanksgivings and birthday parties were just just chaos and, and really good chaos. But just I mean, I have cousins that are that when we were growing up were just I mean, they're boys and they're loud. And my brother and one of my cousins just would, I don't know, play cops and robbers and just run around with cap guns. And I don't I don't even know. I just it was it was so chaotic, but so good at the same time. So it was just it was really nice. I love it. And I also feel badly for people that don't have a chance to have those kind of experiences because, you know, I've, I've never met any family or people who come from that kind of family background that aren't incredibly proud of it, but also incredibly embarrassed by, because it's one of the first <laughs> things I always say to friends who haven't met my family. Oh yeah, we're really loud, man. So just be prepared, man. It's like volume level up. It's a lot of noise and a lot of energy and a lot of hugs. So just like roll with it, man. And you're going to have a good time. And if you're not into that kind of stuff, Oh man, like head for the hills because, you know, like we're just going to have fun. And, you know, like, I think it could be the simplest thing. Like you said, playing cops and robbers or hide and seek, or we made up the games, man. We, I used to have a, in, an uncle who would tell these stories, the space, we used to call it the space time machine stories. It was, a, it was a boiler. It was like a water heater and a boiler in his basement. And he would like take us down there and tell us that this thing could like transport us to the moon or something. And I don't even think we were that young, you know, we were probably like nine or 10, you know, it wasn't like we were four years old and he's telling us and we bought it, but we would love it, you know, just complete madness, random, you know, family stuff. And, uh, we need that, man. We definitely need it. Yep. Good stuff. So, um, so big family, fun life. And um, how about sports as a kid? I know you were very active um, and you played a lot of different sports. Talk a little about that. Like when you got involved with sports, what some of those experiences were like for you as a kid growing up? Sure. Um, well, you know, as a kid in, in a Midwestern town, you kind of just play whatever team sports are, are, are around. So I, I played soccer for a year. We discovered that wasn't quite my thing. I'm sure I played t-ball. I think I played, you know, my dad was a really good golfer. And so he had me out on the course from, I don't even know, the minute I could pick up, I had the plastic golf clubs and everything. And I think I was probably in golf tournaments, if you will, three hole golf tournament. I know you golf, so you understand. There was like a three hole golf tournament. I played every 4th of July. And I think I was probably, I don't know, five, maybe six. And, um, you know, he had me out golfing. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Like it was so boring to me. And I, and I was pretty good, but I just like, I couldn't get behind anything past nine holes, but um, I did golf for, for quite a, quite a bit. And then, you know, we, we tried gymnastics and dance cause I'm a girl. So you're supposed to do those things. And I wasn't good at those. Things. I just wasn't. And it was like, it, that wasn't my thing. And so I think my parents kind of threw me in the, in a recreational swim team, like, well, we'll try this. And, and I really liked swimming and swimming was good. Cause it didn't have a ball, a bat, a racket. I didn't have to like, I didn't have to pass to anybody, catch from anybody. It was just me kind of just, <laughs> and if I was, slow I was slow and if I was fast I was fast and that was that so um swimming is kind of what stuck and all the other things kind of went by the wayside and um so that's kind of where it started was swimming 
Great. So swimming was the first thing you really kind of gravitated to and connected with. And it's so true. Um, and I don't think it's as true today, but it certainly is true from like my generation when I grew up where there were the boy sports, there were the girl sports. Um, and, and the girl sports tended to include things like cheerleading and dance and other things, which yes, they're incredibly active participation things, but I don't think many of us would classify them, you know, quote unquote, as sport today. Um, although I did have a guest on recently who insisted and she was just so serious about it. I was like, all right, man. And you know what? If you ever watch those college cheerleaders, man, when they're doing those triple yep. aerial flips and stuff, I'm not going to debate that that's not a sport because they're incredibly, you know, fit. And those routines are insane, you know, that they're doing and really difficult. But um, it's interesting. You So I love that you're exposed to a lot of different stuff. Um, that's super cool. And, uh, your dad was like a scratch golfer, which is serious, man. It's really tough to become a scratch golfer. And for anybody who doesn't play golf, it basically means you're shooting par or almost par, like all the time when you play more than average amount of times that you play. Um, and that takes a lot of work, a lot of discipline. Um, and I'm not surprised. I think kids at that age, you know, with our attention spans, you know, I don't think golf is fast enough for most of us. It's not as exciting. It's not a particularly visually exciting sport, you know, where we're doing things, we're running around. We don't have a very long attention spans when we're young, which makes it all the more amazing when I see like Charlie Woods, you know, playing with Tiger and seeing the father-son, you know, duos and not father-sons, um, uh, father-daughters, you know, you had the Corda family who's like this amazing athletic family. The dad was a great tennis player. His wife was a great tennis player, I believe as well. And then he has the two daughters who are ranked in the, you know, number one in the world in golf and like number three. And he's got a son who plays on the, you know, the tennis tour and is like world ranked. I mean, what a family of mm -hmm. athletes, but and you, have, and you have a Gary player at like, I don't know if his Gary player 90, my God, he, if he's 90, yep. he looks like he's 70 and they've been playing and they're out there, but just to see the swings and, you know, the athleticism of these kids, you know, that are involved. It's wonderful. But for me, if somebody tried to get me to play golf at that age, I would have been right with you. And I'd be like, this isn't for me. No way, man. Give me a baseball bat. Put somebody on the mound. Let me rip one. Let me run the bases as fast as I can. Let me dive and slide and get muddy yep. and dirty. Um, Cause that's what it was all about, you know, be the kid being, you know, playing rough and, you know, running around and being out from the time the sun came up until coming back after dark. I mean, you know, and uh, it's just different. It's totally different. So um, swimming became your first quote unquote love. Um, what was the experience like? Like, did you take it like through high school? Um, I think I remember we talked a little about you had a coach or someone from in the swimming areas, particularly who had a, a pretty strong influence on you. And it'd be fun if you talk about that a little. I mean, not the coach first, but just on swimming, you know, what did you like about it? Like, you know, you said you didn't have to throw a ball and hit stuff, <laughs> but like what connected the sport with you at, at an early age? And like, what was it like, you know, being on the team and then the coach, of course? Uh, you know, it was just a recreational swim team. In my town, there was, you know, the recreational teams and then there was the competitive teams. And I wasn't on the competitive team I, I just didn't have that desire. I'm not a super competitive person in that regard. I just kind of want to do what I want to do. So, um, you know, this was through my country club. So it's, it was just, it was recreational. There was all abilities. And I liked the fact that I didn't have to stress out about, you know, winning or, or, you know, if I wasn't fast enough or if I didn't hit, you know, a certain, t you know, time on my laps or, or whatever, I was just, I could just have fun and do it. And so that was what I think drew me to it. If I had gone the competitive route, like a lot of my friends did do, they would do both. 
um, that was a high stress environment and it was, you know, there was an excellent swim team and, but it was, it was a very high stress environment. And I'm sure my parents as well thought this, but I just, this, that wasn't for me at that time. I just wanted to have fun as a kid. So I think that, you know, environment is what really kept me doing it. It wasn't a stressful competitive environment. It was a fun environment. And our coach was much um, like that where he pushed us really hard. And there was a group of us who were, as we got older, we would have a second practice before the regular practice because we were a little bit older and take a little bit longer and do a little bit more. So we would have practice early in the morning and then, then we would have our second practice almost like right after it. And our coach was, like I said, he was good and he was, he pushed us hard, but he wasn't, um, you know, someone I was fearful of. He was someone I looked up to. And again, when, when you're doing a team sport of any kind, whether it's more individual based, like swimming or, you know, like baseball or something, if you have a coach that's good and that pushes you, but doesn't make you fear for them, fear, you know, fear of what they're going to say or what they're going to do or reprimand you if you're not performing well, then I believe that just fosters a really good um, environment to succeed. So I think that's why I stuck with it for so long. And I swam, you know, from probably age five or six, maybe until, um, I swam through high school, but I didn't swim for my school. I just swam in the summers, uh, because in the way my high school worked, it was like swimming was the same season as cross country. So you can't, you, at my school, you couldn't do two sports in one season and I chose running. So I just didn't swim for my school. I swam in the summer, but, um, yeah, my coach was great. Um, someone I still look up to to this day, and he's long since retired. And I think one of my one of my more fond memories, and probably I think I was it was maybe four four years ago, and he got to meet my kids, which was super exciting because we you know we don't live in the same town anymore. And um, when I got to introduce him to my kids, and he's like, "Oh yeah," he's like, "Well, I'm a grandpa now, and here's my grandkids," and kind of came full circle. But it was really special. He was a really special guy. Is a really special guy. Nice. So he, so he's still with us. What's his name? Give him a shout out. His name's uh, Coach Showers, and um, he's you know if if you're watching this or listening to this and you're from Rockford, you know Coach Showers, and um, you know he was just he influenced so many of us, and um, he was so important to so many of us. He's just so nice. He was just so nice. And one of my favorite parts is when we get out of the pool after you know after a race and a meet, and you'd get out and you'd look for him because he was you could hear him in the water you know, you know, reach for a while, reach, reach, reach. And you could hear his voice and it just resonated, but it wasn't a scary thing. It was a, it really, really made you want to perform well for him. And you'd pop out of the water and you'd start scanning the pool deck and looking for him because he was, he would be jumping up and down. You know, I could come in last place, you know, which sure I did sometimes, um, especially if I had to swim, you know, like breaststroke or butterfly or something, but you know, you get out of the water and no matter how you performed, he was elated and jumping up and down because you finished, not because you won, just because you finished. And that was, that was super, super meaningful. That's an awesome, awesome story. And, um, too many, too many times today, um, we have these experiences with coaches, particularly when we're young and we're so impressionable where it just, it's, it's on the wrong side. Um, it has a negative impact and it's focused too much on how much we weigh and what our body type is supposed to look like and, and only winning, you know, only coming in first, um, beating everyone else. Um, and 
they can leave scars, you know, and they stay with us. So when you get a coach who's focused on, you know, positivity and just, um, you know, it's a voice you want to hear and the other kids want to hear or even want to stick around for a second practice, it should definitely be celebrated. Um, we need to tell more of those stories because um, it isn't, uh, you know, n we're not all going to be Michael Phelps. You know, we're not all, we're not going to, we're not going to be Katie Ledecky and, um, you know, God bless the two of them. They're two of the most amazing athletes that we've ever seen, you know, come up through swimming, but it's just at some point, some of these sports are just a way for us to be around other kids and just experience, you know, different types of leadership, you know, from a coach, from an adult, um, get to make some new friends, hopefully, you know, keeping it as simple as possible and also doing something that's healthy for us, you know, burning some calories, burning off the crazy uh, yep. that we have as kids. Cause otherwise we're just going to run around like maniacs in the schoolyard. And, you know, in my case, maybe during class and interrupting things. So, <laughs> you know, all good stuff on the swimming side. So when does running come into the picture for you as a kid? I know you said you had a conflict and chose cross country. So when did, when does running start for you as a kid? Well, ironically, it, it kind of tied in with swimming and that my, my, uh, the club where I swam was about like two and a half miles, probably well, maybe about two and a half miles away from my house. And, um, you know, I'd have to go really early in the morning and like my parents have stuff going on and I have a younger brother. When I got old enough, they're kind of like, can, can you just, can you just get there? Some, you know, like maybe, maybe I'll drive you now you know, for the first practice, but if you want to go again, maybe you could just get there. And I was like, well, I can get there. I'm old enough. I have a bike. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll ride my bike. That's fine. It was pretty quick. And there's a, there's a nice path right along the river. So it was real safe for me to get there. And so I started riding my bike to practice, which was fine. And then I was like, oh, like riding my bike is fine. I don't love it, but I did it because it was quick, you know, quick. I could get there. But I was like, you know, um, there was a, there was one of the lifeguards at the pool who would often, I would ride, I would ride my bike to uh, practice. And then at the end of the day, when he was done lifeguarding, um, he lived just up the street from me and he would run, he was running to lifeguard and running home. And so I would follow him while he ran and I would follow him on my bike and I would carry sometimes carry his backpack or whatever and drop him off at home. And then that was, it. I was like, Oh, well, if Pat can run to the pool, I think I can too. And so then I started running to the pool. And so it was, you know, two and a half, three miles. And I was a little bit younger, but that was still pretty, that was a good clip at, at that age for me anyway. And I was like, oh, I like this. And I like running. I don't really like riding my bike. I still don't. I do it, but I don't like it. Um, but I would much prefer to run. So I started riding my bike and, or started running. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I like running. Running is great. And then and that and the kind of the rest is history. Um, I just started running there, and then I would like put on my you know you'll you'll understand this because you're you're in my relative generation. So I had my Walkman, my Sony Walkman, which was huge. And I for my birthday one year, I got one with like a hand strap. I was like, wow, I can hold it in my hand with my earphones and run with music. And, you know, I tape songs off the radio and hope I didn't get a commercial in there and I had music to run. And then all of a sudden I was like, this is a new world. And I just, you know, I just go run around my neighborhood for a couple of miles, probably only ran two, three miles at a time. And that was awesome. So the rest was history. And then I went to high school and ran cross country and track and it's kind of how it started. Very cool. Um, so did you have a crush on the boy from the pool and, or no? 
Was there anything going on there? Because I always have to ask no, the, deep, the deep questions. He was questions. quite a bit older than me. And, <laughs> and, you know, matter of fact, I looked up to him so much because he was such a good swimmer and such a good cyclist and such a good runner. And, um, you know, we've kind of reconnected in the past, I don't know, maybe four or five years, we reconnected via Facebook and um, he's living in Dubai right now, which is awesome. He's also an incredible artist, which is, I love looking at his art, but um, he was quite a bit older than me at the time. It was a big, you know, that was, you know, I was, I was far too young to be dealing with someone of that age at that time. Now the age difference is negligible, of course, but um, he always, he's always held a special place in my heart. Always for sure. Cool. I mean, it's super cool, but I think, you know, just that when you see somebody do something, it's the oldest thing in the book. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's what the person looks like, if they're older or they're younger, whatever. It's just the thought comes into our minds, the conscious mind. And it's like, hmm, I wonder if I could do that. And you don't like biking. Um, it's not horrible. It's getting you from point A to point B, but you just don't like it. And it's that's when you're a kid, it's not hard. You figure stuff out pretty quick. I like stuff and I don't. It's only when we get older when we make things way too fucking complicated. Like, yes. gee, <laughs> let me ask 5 million people's opinions. No, you don't need anyone's opinion. Do you like <laughs> it? No. You don't like it? Fine. Cake it out of the mix. It's out of the rotation. Done. I don't need to ask all of Instagram whether I need to do this or not. I'm just not going to do it anymore or I'm not going to do it for a while. Um, so you you see him doing this. You know, You're looking at it going, I can do this. And you do it. And guess what? It doesn't take long. You're actually running a couple of times and you realize, I really like this running thing. And then you add another element in the Sony Walkman, which, oh man, does that bring back <laughs> memories? Because something would always go wrong. Like the headphone cord was so short. Like I'd hit it on something and like, you know, literally smash into a building or some crazy hijinks would occur. Like I'd get knocked over or fall over. Like, I mean, that cord had a way of hitting everything, no matter where you were. And it's anywhere, even if you weren't running, you could just be walking and somehow it'd be like your head's getting like yanked off or the headphones and nothing. And what's it like today where we live in this beautiful Bluetooth world where, you know, we have our nice headphones and they fit and we can adjust them. And it was definitely more gritty. Um, but and you had to record your own music. So good for you, man. You're like recording stuff. But what a difference to be able to run with some music. We didn't have pods back then, people. We couldn't listen to Ritual or run chats or or rambling runner or some other show whatever you like to listen to man we were you know it was simple or we had am fm radio you know like you yeah. know yeah. The, you know am am radio was almost all talk shows but you know fm radio was where all the music was you know more or less so um but yeah we've we've come a long way so there's your there's your intro to running and that brings you into actually running you know on the high school team and cross country now did you you did track also or just cross country I did track um, because you just kind of did. If you ran cross country, which is what I loved, you kind of just ran track, whether you liked it or not. You either, I guess I should say in the springtime, cross country is a fall sport. And in the spring, you either ran track or played soccer. And we've determined from an early age, Karen doesn't play soccer at all. Like not, not even, no. no. So we went track. And when I got to track, you know, it was like, I'm not really good at track. Like I'm not, I don't, I, I'm not fast. You know, I'm not in fast as a relative word, like meaning I, I wasn't able to sprint. So we, I wasn't a sprinter. And with regard to track, I wasn't really good enough in, in my mind or in, in the minds of like uh, 
I don't know the, the, the times, like I wasn't really a good miler either or a two miler, which were the two choices. You either ran the 1600 or the 3200. And then there was this middle distance and I was like, well, I'm not good at that either. You know, I'm, I'm just kind of a mediocre. So they're like, well, you run cross country. We're going to stick you in the mile and just, just show up. And I was like, okay. So I just showed up and I ran it and I ran it. And I finished like middle to back of the pack every race and or every meet. And it was fine. And I just, I kind of got through it, but you know, and I've told people this. And if you know me, you know that I, since then it's like track has kind of scarred me not for anything bad that happened, but it's just like, I was just never, it just never left a good impression on me. I didn't like running in circles around a track and I have had this weird, I don't know how to explain it, but in the springtime, the weather was such a way that it had this, the air in the springtime and track season was like, it just, it looked a certain way. The sun felt a certain way. It hit my body in a certain way, the time of day. And it brings back these really triggering memories that are not great. And so when I set foot near a track, I kind of feel this really off putting, I don't know, it's a very strange thing. And I finally did get back on the track this year, which I can talk about later, but um, I did it and I got back on the track, but I still don't like it. So I just kind of did it and it was fine. But cross country was where I loved because it was a two and a half, it was a 2.2 to 2.5 mile course, depending on where you ran. And it was like a family. It wasn't about the running. It's like, it was more like my swimming experience where no one cared if you first placed first or placed last, but if you just showed up and ran and we all laughed and we had fun and, you know, our practices were fun and I had the most incredible coach, um, probably the most influential coach I've ever had. Um, and he was just coach, coach home, but everyone just called him coach. And, you know, he was 50, three years old or something like that when we were in high school. So he was like, Oh, okay. And he ran every practice with us. He ran fart licks with us. He ran the long blocks. He did our hill repeats. He ran everything with us. And, uh, you know, that's a coach like, you, you know, you're co- not to say that every coach has to do that, but like when your coach is 40 years or senior and just run and practice with you because he felt that was the way to, to do it. That was pretty awesome. So it was a great, it was a great cross country. It was just an amazing experience. And, and if you were on the boiling cross country team, you were just part of a really close knit family and a really close knit group. So that's what I think it really solidified that type of running for me. Yeah. So that's a super positive memory. Um, the cross country piece of it, um, because it's like you, you mentioned, it's like family um, and cross country, him being out there, him doing the work with you all. You know, again, every kid's different. Me, I would love that. I'm sure some kids might be like, oh, what, coach is running with us? Oh, no. Like, you know, some kids want to be on their own or some kids want to talk to their girlfriend or their best boy, boyfriend guy in the team, of, you know, guys, guys, girls, girls. Um, everyone's different. Me, I would have loved it. I loved any coach that was active and, and with us, in, in the mix with us. And that's, to me, that's the definition of being in the mix, man. You're, you're out there doing fart licks and hill repeats. And, or even if you're not doing the whole workout, if you're just running some portion of it and talking to everybody and encourage them. So that's wonderful. Um, and it's interesting because I know, um, you know, this is something that you deal with and, and battle with, with anxiety in, you know, in your own life. And running is something that helps you very much um, in terms of managing it. And it's interesting that even going all the way back then as a kid, you know, with track, that those memories are there and, you know, they're not positive memories at all. Um, um, and it's just things stay with us, man. They just do. Um, and whether it was the too competitive feeling that it gave you, 
um, of like having to race against other girls, going around a track with people watching you. Like who knows exactly what it is? And it really doesn't matter. And then every one of us is faced, faced with anxiety. And if, if not before 2020, I can assure right. you, even if you had zero anxiety about your life, I guarantee you, you have plenty of it flowing between 2020 yep. and 2022. But those memories, which again, you know, kind of trigger anxiety or made you uncomfortable, you know, about running. I'm just really happy that it didn't like keep you away from running. And you found this other piece of running, which could not be more different. Um, I, that's one of the things I loved about cross country. And I was a high school and college baseball player. So I did not run at all until my mid thirties. Um, but I, our teams, you know, my high school teams were really good in cross country and track. And we'd always see the guys and girls out there running the hills and doing practice and running around by the fields where our baseball field and track were right next to each other. Um, but it makes me happy that you didn't just pile it all in together. Like, okay, this is, I don't like running period. So it was just that type of running, um, that, you know, just was kind of more or less a trigger for you and cross country was the opposite, you know, making you feel really good. Part of a family, um, not important whether you finish first or last, it's okay if you finish first, but it's not like the, it doesn't make a difference whether you do or you don't. Um, but you're part of the team and the coach made everyone feel you know, connected because he was in there. So good for him. We, what's his name? We got to give him a shout out too. You said Coach Holm? It's Coach Holm, uh, Ted Holm. Um, but every, if, if you're from Rockford and you ran cross country, it's Coach. It's just Coach. And he, even if you weren't on our high school team, you knew him because he had the fastest gun start and it was terrifying. It, it, you just, it, you would see people just almost shell-shocked at the start line if they didn't know he was starting the race because it was so quick. And um, so you're like, oh yeah, coach, the one with the fast gun. Yep, that was him. But he's wonderful. Yeah, he's just, he's wonderful. Love it. Love the, love the shout outs to the old coaches or even new, you know, we'll get to new, new stuff as well, but yeah, quick draw. You better be ready with a guy who's quick with the quick, with the gun and the trigger, man, you better be in your blocks or, or if it's cross country, man, you better be set and in position because the elbows are going to be flying and you know, all that other good stuff, you know, depending on the kind of course. I mean, that's one of the things like some courses are just narrow at a start where you have to get out and some are more wide open. I personally love the, the wide open ones where they'll do like the NCAA ones and they're running out in the big field in Kansas or on a golf course somewhere, because, you know, I, I think that even if for anybody who's is competitive versus somebody who's not as competitive, I think that's a lot to ask people to smash through a small opening and you got kids literally tripping each other, knocking each other over. That, that's a lot. And, you know, you're having to go out at like, you know, 200% of your max heart rate just to try to get the hell out <laughs> and not kill yeah. yourself and stay upright um, until you can just like get your breathing back under control. And then you're probably running straight up some damn hill or something like that. But yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. Have you ever run a cross country race uh, as a grown up? as an adult have you ever like jumped in one because there's quite a few that the usatf puts on these days not specifically certainly not a sanctioned one um i did run one of my coaches from my adult life he put on a run gosh what year was that i didn't have kids yet so it was probably 2011 maybe and he put on a, a small charity run um in a park near our house and it was uh, called yellow hat run and because he always wore this yellow hat. So he just called it the yellow hat run. And, um, it was, it, we just showed up to support his, his cause and his charity. And when we got there, I was like, Oh, 
it was in a park and it looked, the start was just the way that it was set up. It was like, it, it immediately brought me back to cross country because it looked like a cross country course. It looked like, and it was a three, like it was a 5k. So it was that distance. And so I haven't run a sanctioned one, but that was pretty close to it. Well, if you, that sounds really cool. And I love the name, the yellow hat run. I like simple stuff, man, that has a little story yep. behind it. But if you do want to run one, because I know you're in Florida and I don't know the state that well. I mean, I've certainly been down there plenty of times, but I always get a little mixed up. There is one in Tallahassee. Um, it's the USATF. And I have to say, it couldn't be a cooler race course. It simply really? couldn't okay. be. So you you are literally running. It, it's used for college races as well. Um, whatever college, I, I, I think Florida State, I'm trying to remember what colleges are in that conference. And nowadays everybody's moved around that they did not used to be in the ACC or, you know, these colleges move to whatever teams are going to pay them the most for football and what bowls they can get into. And they bring the most money into the university, but um, you're just running in this wide. And when I say wide open field, like you just go from one end to the other, you know, and again, this is masters. I did it as a masters runner. I'm going to be 61 now, but I didn't do it at that. I think I was like 58 or 59 or 57 when I did it, but it was just such a different experience. I mean, and I put spikes on, you know, like, you know, oh, I played cool. college baseball, so I'm used to spikes, but these are obviously the thin, thin spikes, but just to run, I mean, and it was really flat. I mean, there were some inclines on the course, but not crazy hilly, but you know, you're running on turf, you know, grass, mud, you know, composition feels a lot like golf course and sections. And, you know, you kind of weave in and out and it's like a multi-loop course. And it was really a fun experience. Um, I really enjoyed it. And you can put a team in. So again, if you don't want to make it about quote unquote yourself, you know, you get a bunch of moms, you could have the, you know, the happy mama team, you know, put your own team in or a team ribs team and, you know, you compete and it was really fun. And I, I've got to do it again. Cause they just did it. Um, I don't know, maybe like a month ago or so. I know friends went down and did it. That's like the national masters championship. So you'll get some incredibly fast masters runners running that thing, <laughs> but you'll also get people that are literally, you know, don't care if they run, walk it. So it's not, everyone there is not competitive. It's just, it's, it's a USATF event. So it's a sanctioned event. So just share, sharing that with you. Um, and, um, let's talk a little bit about some race highlights, um, so I know, you know, cross country high school, you know, just any, from any age, any particular races, you know, that you feel were important or impactful, um, that kind of helped shape you on the, on the running side. Sure. Uh, well I started, so if you back up to my swimming and then I would ride my bike because I had to get to the pool and then I started running, my aunt was a triathlete. And so, and she was, she's someone I, and to this day, I still look up to, um, very close with her and she was a triathlete. And I was like, well, that's kind of cool. I can swim and run. And you know, I, I can ride my bike, I like <laughs> it, but I'll do it. Let me try triathlon. That's interesting. And so I started out, I went from swimming and I ran recreationally, but my first like competitive sport outside of high school was actually triathlon. And so I started, and when I was doing this, I was 15 years old. And back then it wasn't popular, uh, as popular as it is now, especially for youth. And so to find races that would allow me in, if, if I wasn't, you had to be 16 most of the time. Um, so there wasn't too many I could actually compete in, but I found some really small local races to compete in. And they were mostly sprint. I think there's a few Olympic distance in there, maybe like three um, and they're mostly sprint triathlons, so they're pretty pretty quick, relatively speaking. And I loved triathlon, which was that was that was just it was so fun because nobody I knew did it. Everyone did soccer or running or 
baseball or basketball or whatever. And nobody did triathlon. I didn't know a single soul, you know, that was my age that did that. And so I was, you know, I, I always, I'm always different. Like I'm not the norm in any regard, but to do triathlon, it was like, wow, this is really different. And it was fun because I didn't excel at any one sport. I was mediocre at all three at best. And that was fine. And so let's just be mediocre at all three together. And why not? And I ended up being quite good when I put all three together. It just kind of some sort of magic happened. And I didn't become mediocre. I became decent um, for my age. And so I, I think it was I was 15 and I was in a small, tiny race in the central Illinois. And it, I didn't know this, but it ended up being a regional qualifier for the national competition. And so I qualified for nationals at 15 and I ended up going to nationals when I was, I think I was 16. I think that's how it worked. And it was in Florida. I was down here in Miami and I ended up competing at the national level and I ended up placing second in my age group. I don't think there was very many in my age group to be quite fair. You know, I don't think there was 50 and I was number two, there was probably like five, (laughs) but um, you know, I, I was able, it's probably the only time I've ever stood on a podium in my life. And, um, you know, fun fact, Lance Armstrong was actually in that race. He was 18 and nobody knew who he was. He was just, he was just a, a really good age grouper. And he ended up breaking out kind of after that in cycling. But, um, yeah, I have a picture with him somewhere. It's blurry from an actual camera with film. And, um, but I think that was kind of the race that, started me really interested in competing outside of high school sports. And um, from there, I just, I think, I don't think I did many more triathlons after that because it was just really hard to train a multi-sport. You know, it's just really hard to do that when you're in high school and you don't have time. You have to go to school and you have your track practice, cross country practice, your studies. I I couldn't train three sports. It was more than I needed to do. And so I just kind of went and picked running. And, uh, you know, I, I spent from that point forward, I just kind of would enter local five and 10 K races. There was always a 4th of July run. There's, you know, as a jingle bell run and a Turkey trot and whatever was in my town, I just entered and it was five, five, maybe 10 K there was probably an eight K in there. Um, but it just kind of, those little races really kind of kept me going and going and going. And then I went to college and I said, well, I could run, I could go to a small school and run, but I really still wasn't that good. So I was like, well, I'd rather just not do that. And so I went to a large, larger school, went to University of Wisconsin and just ran recreationally again, just ran. But then my senior year, I I wish I remembered why, but I just decided to run a marathon. Just, I I don't know why I, I wasn't trained for it. I mean, I was running like every other day or every day, but I certainly did not train for any sort of marathon distance, but I was like, well, it's not that far. I'll just run it. And I did. And I just ran it. And it was kind of like, that was like my first really big race. I don't think I'd raced anything more than a 10 K prior to that. So that was in 1996. And that was the kind of the start of my, Oh, I like, even though I trashed my knee, like a third of the, or two thirds of the way through the race. um, That was kind of my foray into I like running long distances, even though I wasn't trained and I didn't do it particularly well. Um, couldn't even tell you my time, but I finished it. And uh, <laughs> it, that was kind of my foray into racing, I think, long distance racing. Very cool. So triathlon first. Um, 
And yeah, you knew you, you love the swimming and the running and the biking. Yeah. You, you, you know, you're okay at it, you know, to get from point, point A to point B, but you're right. When you can put all three of those together, you don't have to be great in any of them. If you're solid in all three, you're going to do, you're going to do well. Most people are just really horrible at swimming. Um, me raise my hand. Um, I can swim fine. Put me in the ocean all day, boogie board, body surf, do all that. I swim great, but put me in a pool and tell me to swim laps or put me in open water and tell me to swim a distance and sight and do all that other stuff you got to do and other people bashing into you and maybe elbowing you or kicking you. Yeah. Not so good at that part. Um, (laughs) and I, I like biking and running. So the other two are good for me, but, um, that's really cool. Um, and you know, that a lot of people weren't doing it, you know, and the next thing you know, you're in a national race and, you know, you get to hang out and meet, meet Lance, uh, you know, so that's a, that's a super cool experience. Um, you know, and, uh, people have such strong opinions on him. Me too. Um, I ran a, I ran the New York city marathon with him one year when he ran with all the different Nike coaches, Alberto Salazar and Joan, Joan Samuelson and everything. And, yeah, I used to fight people and say he would never cheat and defend defend him to the end of the earth. And why would a guy yeah. do this? Look at what he's been through. Yep. And, you know, so it, that one kind of broke me a little. But um, same, same, yeah, same, same. But <laughs> man, I just I would defend. I would just be like, what? You don't know what you're talking about. He would never do. It. And then it's just like, oh well, I guess uh, you know the universe. You know, can fool can fool us sometimes, or people people can fool us sometimes. But um, the running thing is totally interesting. Um, just randomly out of nowhere in your college college years, right? Or se- was it senior year of college? Or? It was my senior senior year. Yeah, yeah. it was like this spring of my senior year. Yeah. And you said 1996. And what, what, what marathon was your first one? It was the Madison marathon, the Madison I, marathon. Okay. In Wisconsin, right? Yeah, it was in Wisconsin. Um, I think it was their only the second year. It only was their inaugural year, but it was their second year. And it was just like, Oh, it's in my town. It's pretty. We'll run around the lakes. I'm like, I run around that lake. Well, you don't run around 18 times, but you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll figure it out. And it was at that time. I realized, you know, you don't really understand how far 26 miles is until you're doing it and you're just like hmm that's a bit farther than a 10k uh quite a bit (laughs) uh yeah and it's like somewhere out there when you realize you've bitten off more than you can chew you're like oh my god what have i done Um, But I think everyone needs to have a first time experience like that. Um, I also think it's really cool for people who join a team, find a fundraising initiative, get involved with a program like American Cancer Society, or in in your case, I think you did stuff with leukemia, right? Um, Personally. So like any, you know, charitable organization that's meaningful to you for a reason that, you know, helps fuel your why and gets you involved with raising money for a cause that matters. Maybe it's somebody personally that you've lost or maybe are potentially going to lose. It, you get the coaching element, you get a training plan, you have a chance to maybe run with people in that group to give you some company and, you know, kind of share those mutual goals. Those are wonderful too. But man, for the people like me that just did one like you did and just crashed and had, you know, a brutally <laughs> tough experience just to finish it. I think, man, it's, it's a, it's a way better story. And B, it teaches us that you can do way harder things than you even dream of because man, when you're out there and you got a long ways to go and you're like barely able to move. And then you realize you still have like nine more miles to go. It's like, that's not, that's no joke, man. That's like, no one's coming to get you, man. Nobody's going to bring you a bike and say, here you go, Karen, ride it in. Like you got to finish up, you know, around that lake or in my case on the New York city marathon. So, um, pretty cool. And what did, what did you learn about yourself in that first one? Well, I learned that despite, um, 
despite the, the, I think I kind of shredded my meniscus. And so I had a knee surgery and I was like, well, that's fine. I'll just keep running. It's fine. Like it was minor. And I realized that I couldn't wait after my surgery. Cause it was just, I maybe a month after that. Um, and I went through the rehab and all that. And I was like, I realized at that time I couldn't wait to run again. So I knew something despite the random experience I had with this marathon that I shouldn't have run, but did got injured, had surgery. And then I realized, wow, I can't wait to run. So I knew there was something, something was born back then that was like, okay, this is going to become a thing. Like running is now a thing and I need to make time for it in my life. And I need to be more, more uh, purposeful or, you know, intentional, I guess about running. And, you know, the funny thing is I never ran, I didn't run another marathon. I, you know, if you know me, I say this a lot, but if you know me, you know, I don't run marathon. Everyone assumes I run long distance. I'm an endurance athlete. And when you hear endurance athlete in the running world, you automatically, one automatically assumes you run marathon. I absolutely do not. I don't, I don't like it. It's weird. It's, I have this mental block with running marathon. It's so the next marathon I ran, that was in 1996. The next one I ran was in 2006. It was 10 years later. And, um, it was simply because my girlfriend had passed away from, uh, leukemia and I decided to team up with team in training, which is the fundraising arm of the leukemia lymphoma society. Again, that was a, it was not like, I want to run a marathon. It's that I want to do something in memory of my friend, something that was meaningful and raise awareness and raise funds. And then I ran the Chicago marathon in 2006, which was I, I think if I had to put it, yeah, it's easily the best experience of my life. Despite the fact that it was a marathon, it was the best. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, probably the only other marathon I would jump at the chance to run again is Chicago. Um, and it's it's just, it was, uh, like I said, it was kind of what introduced me to charity running and running for those that can't. And at that time, it was very focused on my friend and she couldn't run. And so I ran in memory of her and it drove me all the way through the finish. I don't think I had a particularly great race. My time was nothing to speak about at all, (laughs) but I ran it and it was fun and it was meaningful. And I still don't like the marathon distance. It's still weird. It's still hard for me to run and I still don't like it, but I was so excited to run that one. And I decided, well, I really like charity. I like to run for charity or for whether it's an actual fundraiser to raise dollars. It's just about the why it's about running for a, pur- a greater purpose. It wasn't just about me anymore. So it really kind of spiraled into something bigger, which has just spiraled. It's just kind of taken over my whole running. It's like, I always run for, I run for me, but I like to run for others. And that's always super important to me. Yeah. I mean, I think it adds so much greater depth um, and context to what we do as humans. And if you're helping a big, large group, uh, an association, a fundraising arm is one thing. But if in your mind, you're running for one person, that person that you know, that's sick and in the struggle and in the fight, that personalizes it greatly. Um, and you know, is it important to know exactly how much of those dollars you're raising are going to research? No, cause it's different. It's, it's a very different contextually because you're thinking of the person like I'm going to help my friend. I'm going to do this for my friend. Um, 
And, you know, we'll get into it later, but just Rivs and the whole situation. I mean, that's kind of how you and I met to begin with. And we've never met other than today. I mean, you know, like, like all of us, we all meet online and Instagram and Facebook and Strava and running and this wonderful community that kind of weaves us all together. And um, we kind of share our experiences. But, um, you know, I, I echo that. And I know personally, you know, how much of an impact it can have when you run for someone other than yourself. When time isn't the goal, a PR isn't the goal, um, finishing a fundraising goal, a mileage goal in the hardest weather conditions, in the easiest weather conditions, alone or with friends, like whatever that is, when you can do that because you're doing it for someone else, it it stays with you so much more. And Yes, yeah, agreed. So I, um, I love that you've, figured that piece of it out um and you know basically moved your running to that place that's where it is and it doesn't have to be it can change all the time it can be for ribs now it can be for someone else tomorrow it doesn't matter it's still you're directing your own energies of you know why you run for about something bigger than you and um and, and tapping into the community and wanting to give back and share you know, whoever that is, whoever you're trying to help, whatever that group is, you're trying to, you know, create awareness for and create some change for. So kudos to you for for that. And if you keep that up, you will always feel good about your running. I can assure you, you always feel good about it. It may not keep you injury free, as we know, because um, we all get broken at times while we're trying to do these really hard things. But um the way I look at it, if you're going to get broken, at least make it something meaningful. You know, have it be exactly. have it be for somebody that matters or a cause that matters, right? Yep, exactly, exactly. Very cool. So, um, I'm trying to think where we should go next um, in terms of your running. Um, how about we talk about the Happy Mama Project and how it kind of came to be, and like that period of your life? You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, yeah, I. So everyone's like, my name is just happy mama. That's what people call me. It's just, it's, it's become this association. And most people just kind of say, oh, because you're a happy mom. Um, I am a happy mom. I have two great kids um, who the, the struggle to start our family was not easy. Um, it was, we're, you know, we struggle with infertility, like so many people out there, so many couples. And so our, our road to starting a family was, was quite challenging and took, quite a few years, but ultimately we have two wonderful kids and they're thankfully quiet right now. <laughs> I think they're in the pool, but they're, um, <laughs> they're highly energetic and very ha healthy and happy and everything's wonderful. But, um, when, because it took us so long to get there, it took us, you know, five years to get pregnant with our son. And then another, you know, after some time, another 10 IVF treatments to get pregnant with my daughter, which was, I mean, if anybody listening knows what IVF is like, just imagine it 10 times over within the course of a year. And it's, it was just a thing. And it was, it really kind of broke us all, but ultimately we have these two wonderful kids. And then I'm like, okay, I have everything I've ever wanted. I have a you know, wonderful husband, Mr. Fantastic. And then I have my two beautiful children and I'm going to be a mom. And I just, I dove head first and I was, I dedicated every, every minute of my day, every minute of my being, um, to being a mom. And, you know, I slept in a chair with my daughter for the first six months of her life. So did my husband and, you know, my kids don't sleep. They never slept as kids. They don't sleep now. 
barely. And so it's like, I was up all the time and I never slept and I was sleep deprived and I just never stopped. And I was just a mom, but I loved it. It was great. And, but after, you know, so many years of that, a few years of that, it was like, where did I go? I was gone. I didn't exist. I was somewhere buried deep inside, but I was only a mom. And the, the, the Karen that existed once before was just buried so deep. And I had no, I wasn't running. Um, I just did nothing for myself, not nothing. And it was a, it was a good day if I had a cup of coffee and if I ate food by 2 PM, that was, that was considered a huge win. Um, if I showered that week, that was even better. You know, it's just, you know, I was a mom. And so I think it was like 2018. We had just moved from San Diego to Atlanta for my husband's work. And he was just like, you know, we got, we got to get you back. You know, the kids are a little older. They're, you know, they're not babies anymore. They're, you know, three and I think three and seven or three and six. And let's find you again. And so my husband said, take 10 minutes every day and put it on your calendar. He's like, it's not an option. I insist 10 minutes. You can find 10 minutes during that 10 minutes. You can't do anything for anybody else in this family. You can't empty the dishwasher. You cannot do laundry. You cannot online shop for new school shoes for the boy. You cannot, it's just you. And so I didn't know what to do. I'm like, Oh no. So I sat in my closet. We had this wonderful, beautiful closet in our house. And I would just sit in my closet. I kind of drew pictures on the carpet for like 10 minutes. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I, I don't, I don't even have books anymore. I don't, I don't know what to do. So I did that. And after about, I don't know, some period of time, I started finding things to do. And I was working part-time in an aromatherapy job at that time. And so I would kind of tinker with my aromatherapy stuff and making new blends and oils. And then eventually it kind of spiraled into this is working. And my husband would find, you know, an hour out of his day, like, okay, now take an hour, not 10 minutes. And then, then I was like, oh, in an hour, I can actually run or I can do something. So I started running again and you know, life changed again, you know, I'm running and I was like, wow, this is, and then slowly I came back and we kind of, we kind of dubbed this as we were going through it, the happy mama project. Um, it was just, it was a, it was a quest to make mama happy again. And it really stuck. And a lot of people just started calling me the happy mama and it just stuck from there. So, and it, and it never really went away. And I still, to this day, and especially through the pandemic every day, through the pandemic, he worked from home. We were all just home all the time. And twice a day, he would come down from his office, home office upstairs, and he would give me a break and say, these are your, these are your break times. I would run and I would eat one break. I would run one break. I would eat or shower or something. Um, so again, it just kind of, it has carried through and it has remained through to this day and just kind of stuck. So yeah, I'm the happy mama now. And that, that just kind of carried over through so many other aspects of my life. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's wonderful. Um, you you have your dream. You know, you get to have your kids after going through such a struggle. What was it, five years? You said right to mm -hmm. waiting mm -hmm. and and going through IVF and all of the all of that that it entails, and you know, being hopeful and then not having it, and it's going to happen. It's not going to happen. You know, your dreams are tied to this stuff. When um, it finally happens, and then you like put so much of yourself in there that there's like literally nothing left for anyone else other than your kids, not your husband, not yourself, no one else. It's only them and there's no one else. So um, that's debilitating right there. There's literally no one can sustain that like long-term. Um, right. it's, it's unsustainable. Um, and 
but it doesn't feel like that when you're in it. It feels like I have to do this for my kids. My kids are first. You know, I, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to keep doing this. I can keep doing it. But you can't. Um, eventually, we're going to crack. And when we crack, it's going to become a big issue. So, you know, kudos to your husband for recognizing it. And, you know, for you to be willing to accept you know, that op, that option, you know, that opportunity, even though it was only 10 minutes, it's probably better that he put such a small amount of time to start with, because you probably couldn't have envisioned anything more, you know, and that you, you're in your closet, like drawing on the carpet, you know, but, you know, starting there and then branching over to the aromatherapy side and just like thinking about things, you know, like, and taking your mind off of everyone else, you know, for a period of time. And then, as it starts to grow, you know, to an hour and like running can come back into the picture. It's like an old friend. It's like coming back to an old friend, someone that you've missed and someone that you loved. And all of a sudden it's back, back in your life. And, you know, whether that's a three mile run in the treadmill or, you know, a three mile run around your neighborhood loop, it really doesn't matter how far you go. It's, it's just an escape. Um, and it's, um, emotional, it's physical. Um, the endorphins can flow. People have this idea that, you know, it can only happen to us on like a 25 mile run. That's not true, man. You could be on a shorter run somewhere and all of a sudden, man, you just feel this energy and blessing. And, you know, so for anybody who struggles with anxiety or postpartum or difficulties having babies or any of the things, you know, that Karen's gone through, man, that's why we share these stories because somebody out there hopefully will listen to this episode and realize like, wow, I'm in this spot right here. That's exactly where I am. Or I was actually in a worse spot. Or this is where I feel myself heading towards. And, you know, you at the moment it's happening, it doesn't seem like anything is wrong. It doesn't seem like, oh, wow, this isn't the life I was planning. It just, that's where you are. And now when you look at it and you look back on it and be like, wow, oh my God, like that's where I was. And it can be eye-opening. So, um, what other things do you feel like that's a huge change, you know, and on top of, you know, coming into the pandemic and all that other stuff, like, um, you know, to be able to kind of reconnect with running and all that, like how much did that influence you just how you were feeling about yourself, stress, being a mom, all these other things, like how much did it help with those other things? Well, it was, you know, it was, it was quite, it was fundamental. I mean, it, it's once I took hold of the situation and realized, oh, I can do this. It's, I didn't think 10, 10 seconds was possible, though in 10 minutes. And once I realized, oh, this is okay, I can do this. And I started running again. Again, you know, it was like, it, it all comes back to the running. And running is my greatest uh, therapy for my anxiety. And it's just no secret. I, I suffer with anxiety and it's nothing. I know exactly what triggers it and it's nothing strange. It's just, you know, my little triggers and, you know, I have a diagnosis and I have medication prescribed and I have, I have never once taken my medication. I've never needed to. Um, it just made me feel like, okay, I have a diagnosis. So this is real. I'm not making this up in my head, but all I need is a good run and, or, or a good walk or, or a good, you know, bike ride or a good swim, a good workout. We'll call it that. But, you know, then the pandemic hit and it was like, it, it was not only something that was helpful, it became absolutely essential. And it, for everybody, for me, for my husband, for my kids, like my kids were like, oh, good. Mom's going on a break. I'm, I'm done with mom. Like she's wonderful, but she's homeschooling us. She's, you know, 
disciplining us. She's keeping us in line. She's keeping us entertained because there was nothing to do. There was no camps. There was no, you couldn't see our friends. We did have a very small bubble that we, you know, we all knew what we were doing and we were safe in our bubble. So we were able to interact with some friends, very, you know, six of us really. Um, And, but aside from that, it was just us and we were in our house. Thankfully at that time, it was a large enough house that we could spread out, but you know, it's like, okay, mom's got to go on her break. Good. And it became so necessary that if I didn't get it for some reason, it disrupted me, disrupted my family. Everyone's like, no, no, mom didn't run. Oh no. It was like, "Mm, she's going to be a bear if she didn't get her run in or her workout or whatever. And from that point, that's when I started actually realizing I have a lot of time to run now. And it became almost like, instead of just, I need a break to, oh, well, I'm kind of getting up there, but I can still run. Let's do something with my running again. And for the first time, and I don't even, you know, since 2010, but this pre-children, I started training again, like actually running with purpose again, which I hadn't done since again, pre-kids when I, that was when I ran the San Diego rock and roll half marathon was in 2010. That was the last big race I ever ran and trained for. And I don't even, I didn't even, I trained once or twice a week that um, with team and training still, but I was like, well, I just kind of did it. But now I'm like, okay, let's put something behind it. And so I started training again for real. Um, And so it just kind of spiraled into this, this whole thing from 2018 spiraled forward into today. And here we are, you know, still running, still training. Wonderful. And yeah, life changed for all of us. Um, moms became teachers, dads became teachers, moms and dads became homeschool teachers. Like nobody in the universe, none of, how could anybody predict or expect um, what was going to happen or even what's still happening? I mean, I think it's just this, we're living in this like movie or a play or whatever, where we have no idea how many acts or scenes it's going to take. And um, you know, like it's just, it's tricky. And we're all doing our best to navigate it. And the only thing I say to anybody is, and this is even for my own family members or friends who are struggling like you are, like everyone is with anxiety. Because if, you, if you're if you not experiencing any anxiety after what's going on now, man, I need to know who you are. Maybe you're like Mr. Spock and you're Vulcan and you, you have no emotions because otherwise, I don't know how that could be possible. Because look, man, people, we don't know what's happening with the economy and jobs and are we going to have jobs and schools? Are they going to take place in person again and universities and schools? sports teams playing and, you know, just all of these things that we've always just assumed we're going to keep happening. And now, you know, that's all like kind of being, the deck is being reshuffled and we're looking at it, you know, day by day, week by week, month by month. Um, And it's wonderful that you discovered, you know, like, hey, and your kids too, and your husband too, like, hey man, she needs to get her run in, her swim, her ride, because that's going to make her the best mom. Okay. And dad needs it. And that's going to make him the best dad. And I'm going to be the best brother or sister if I'm getting some exercise too, because look, these kids are now having to do their homework on an iPad or a tablet or with mom or dad, then they need their exercise time, their outdoor time, their activity time as well. Because look, we're all thrust into this and 
man, I hate to tell everyone out there if we don't know it already, man, there ain't no manual that has the fucking answers for us. Like, okay, here we go. Turn to page 37. Karen's got it. Okay, page 48. Ron will tell you what to do. No, <laughs> you got to figure it out on your own. And each family, just like you all did, you navigate it the best you can. And as you said, with a small bubble, or even a larger bubble, maybe it's like a whole neighborhood or a whole block where you all live. If you're careful and people are careful, you can do these things. But we're all we're all still making our way through. Um, but I'm happy it brought you back to running um, because it's, um, as you said, you're diagnosed, you don't take meds. I couldn't do it either. So if, if I went and sat down with somebody and they said that to me, start giving me medication where I'm going to lose energy or I'm going to feel like I'm going to fight. No, 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 I'm not. That's not going to happen. So running, riding a bike, swimming, you know, going to the gym, doing workouts, whatever. I think it's just it's such a necessary component for all of us for our mental health. And I don't think people really talked about mental health more than in the past year or two. It was just one of those things no one talked about. And if they did, you only talked about it in whispers and it wasn't really known out loud. And, you know, now you have like Simone Biles at the Olympics, like not competing in her own events. And, you know, you know, Michael Phelps coming out talking about, you know, all sorts of things in his book and other things. I mean, there's just athletes just coming openly talking about the pressures they've been under and um, how they've handled it or that they don't want to face, you know, some of these pressures. Um, and I think it's good. It's good for all of us because how else are we going to get these conversations out there into the mainstream? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, as your running starts to take a turn and you find more time, when do you get involved with actually like getting a coach and, you know, hooking up with Jacob uh, you're working with Jacob Puzzi, you know, Tommy Riv's brother. So that's pretty awesome. Totally badass. Like, uh, tell that story a little, cause I know you knew of Jacob and kind of had followed his own running, you know, journey. Cause I mean, Jacob's an amazing runner for people that don't realize like how incredibly talented is. I know at one point, I don't know if he still does. I know he had a world record on the treadmill for either 50 K or 50 miles and probably 50 miles. Yeah. Which was like insane how fast it was. I remember one time it was like six minute pace or something completely bananas. It was, or it might have been faster than six minute. It was, no, sub- it was a, a shy bit faster. I don't remember the exact one. Yeah. I think it was a hair faster than the fives. Yeah, it was. It was definitely in the fives, un, just a little bit under, you know, for whatever, yeah. which is just totally bananas. But like I yeah. can't run one mile that fast, let alone like I, I, I've never, I don't think, been able to run a mile that fast, let alone 50 of them in a row. Um, you know, it's funny. My So you know all of the parties here, um, about as well as I do, you know, at least remotely. But, you know, everyone assumed when I started working with my coach that I had found him because of his brother. And in fact, quite the opposite was true, which in fact, I don't think he even knows this. But um, so my whole adult life, when I was running, just I was working, you know, I did work and whatever I did, like corporate America stuff for many years. And I worked long hours and I was going to grad school at night. And so I could only run in the morning and, or really late at night and where I lived, it just wasn't really safe to run. Um, and I was just, you know, I was a young white girl who was not running by herself in the dark where I would, where I lived. And so I went to the gym and I was there, at, you know, four, four, four 59 AM when it opened and I, cause I really wanted the, they had a woodway uh, treadmill nice. and, um, I know I was, and they had one that, you know, they had the regular, you know, all the other, I don't know, life, whatever pro form or whatever, but they had the one and I was like, I'm going to get it. So I, I was in line every day 
on that. And I treadmill trained and I never ran outside. I mean, I ran outside once in a while, but I treadmill trained for every, you know, five, 10 K I ran. I just treadmill trained and I got a lot of flack from just, you know, people who didn't know or really care. They're like, you're not really a runner. You don't, you don't run outside. You just run on a treadmill. That's not running. I'm like, well, no, it is, but all right, whatever. And I just, I didn't give it a whole lot of thought, but at the other hand, it always kind of stuck with me. And I'm like, you know, treadmills, like that's what I can do. Like, sorry, you know, I, that's all I can do. I can get on a treadmill. I was you know, fortunate enough to be able to join a gym and belong to a gym. I didn't make a whole lot of money at that time. And I was able to afford a gym membership. And so you know, moving on forward, I've always had this thing in my head where it's just like, well, I'm only a treadmill runner. I run so much on a treadmill and it's just not good enough. And, you know, then, you know, enter how many years later when I discover, Hey, this guy just set a world record on a treadmill. Well, if he, I was like, wow, he's pretty cool. And I was like, if he can run on a treadmill and he's recognized for it. And then to, di- you know, to dive deeper and you realize, Oh, other people run on treadmills. Treadmills is okay. Um, if you live in a place where you can't run because of weather, you know, you might live in Canada where there's 30,000 feet of snow on the ground or it's 20,000 degrees below zero. Um, you just, or it's icy. You can't run. You run on a treadmill and that's fine. And I, it wasn't until I was much older, you know, in my forties that I realized treadmill running is actually okay and accepted and not a, not a negative thing. And so I was always drawn to him because I was like, oh, this is the first guy I learned who did something really wicked cool on a treadmill. And so I just followed him. He's like, oh, he's, he's a runner that I like to follow. And, you know, fast forward, I was like, oh, he has another brother. You know, and at the time I only knew just those two. And it's like, oh, yes. Oh, that guy does really cool stuff too. Like really cool stuff. And I was like, wow, those, those brothers are cool. And I, so I just kind of, so I actually had found Jacob before I found Tommy, which is just in, in this day and age, you know, it seems to be the opposite. And for me, it was, you know, backwards, but I knew he was a coach, but I was like, well, I don't need a coach. I'm my, I'm my own coach and I can coach myself just fine. And as we learned last year, I can't coach myself just fine. I'm a great coach to others. I am a certified one coach through a couple of organizations and I do have athletes and I coach them just fine, but I can't coach myself at all. Like not even at all. And that's a very common theme when it comes to run coaches and, or, or any coach, you could be, you know, from, you know, a boxing coach to a, um, you know, a swim coach to, to a baseball coach, you can coach others, but not yourself. And so then I was like, well, I, I think I should maybe get a coach. Oh yeah. That guy's a coach. Maybe I'll, and I kind of had, I, I, I kind of, in my mind, I went through a lot of different run coaches that I, I follow a lot of running coaches because I, it's just who I follow. It's who is interesting to me and their philosophies. I kind of went through and I kind of made lists upon lists of, okay, well, this coach offers this, this one offers this, this one offers this. And I slowly whittled the list down to those that were fitting of my needs. Um, like I'm not a trail runner. I, I can, I just don't have access to it. So I don't really need a, one who's solely focused on trail running or, you know, I'm not an, an elite runner. So I don't need someone who's, I don't need someone who solely coaches people to sub three marathons. Cause number one, I don't run marathon. And number two, I'm certainly not going to run a sub three. So let's find someone who fits my needs. And I kind of had it narrowed down to two and I had a really hard time kind of deciding between the two. And ultimately I just kind of went with my gut and I said, well, I hope 
maybe I fit within his type of athlete roster. I don't know. Maybe I don't fit his type of athlete either. So we'll see. And so I just, I was coming back from an injury. I was ready to sign and then I was, was injured. Um, and then when I was back to running after that, I decided to just say, Hey, I'm going to reach out and see what happens. And then the rest is history. And we've been working together for a year now and life is great. Wonderful. Um, you made some really good points in there. Yeah, you can be the best coach in the world, but it's really hard to coach yourself. Um, I couldn't agree more. Um, I um, have coached runners before, and you know, sometimes I can get in my own way, just like anybody else. Um, you want to want to push too far, too hard, or maybe not hard enough. Like you need another human who's invested in what you're trying to do to be able to make that call. Like Karen, you're actually ready to do this now. Or we're going to actually spice things up. We're going to add this component to your training. I mean, even though you don't want to make the podium or it's not important or, you know, being really fast, but for your strength and your health, we're going to add this component to your training. You know, we're going to put some fart lick into your treadmill runs or longer runs, like whatever it is, like they can really sprinkle the secret sauce in and they're going to be looking at your long-term health. Whereas we, any of we as anybody, um, we might be more like, I need to get my mileage up. I need to lose a few more pounds so I can be faster, or I need to get stronger or whatever these things are that we all feel we need, or treadmill running isn't real. So I need road running. No, I mean, these, these are all crazy things that we hear and we think, and we throw on top of ourselves. They're nuts. I mean, running is running, man. Whether you're running on a freaking underwater treadmill, uh, you know, wood way treadmill in a gym on a trail on a road up a mountain down a mountain i don't care where it is you're moving through space and time it counts man and i don't care what pace you're running it also counts i also don't care if you walk and run that doesn't matter you're moving that's what it's that's what it's about um so giving that control over to someone else is important um and it's it's uh it's liberating you know that that is no longer in occupying space up here, real estate. It's not there. How many miles do I need to run? How long? No, that's not important anymore. Um, and now it becomes about what the prescription is. Is there a pace involved? Is it just an effort-based run? Is it for a time run? Whatever it is, we're really good at following directions, okay? Um, and that's why it's important to have people in our lives that we trust to coach us and you have your certification so you know how to coach people but coaching yourself is very different than letting somebody like Jacob do it so um so you you met him first or you I'm sorry you knew of him first obviously um and got involved and is it is is it peak run performance I always mix it up or is it team peak run or I always I'll mix up his group and like his coaching group so I don't want to mess that up his company um his coaching business is peak run performance on Instagram. Their Instagram handle is at team peak run. That's so it. it's see, I didn't yeah. even, I actually got it right on both, but that's why yep. I get mixed up. So that is the name of his coaching group. And then the Instagram name is different. So cool. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll throw the links into that, um, in, you know, in the show notes and whatever, so people can follow along. And, you know, what do you, what do you feel it's like been the biggest change of like working with Jacob specifically on what you guys are working on, you know, like something that's on the positive side, something that you feel is making an impact. Well, that, that to me is super easy to answer. Um, before I started working with him, I ran one pace. It was just the pace I ran. It was my pace. I ran every run that pace. Um, or it, I don't even know if it was a, it was a number. It was more of just an effort. I just ran 
I just ran and I never ran slower or faster. And if I was running three miles, I ran that fast or that slow or that effort. And if I was running 13 miles, I ran that. And that was the fundamental shift in my training is that I was, um, you know, we'll call it forced, but I was, I was asked kindly to run slower when I was, when I was doing my easy runs and I was asked to run more swiftly when I was doing my more quality workouts. And it was stuff I had prescribed for my, you know, program for my athletes, but I didn't do it. I was just like, well, I can't run slower than that. And you'll hear that from a lot of people as they transition to, uh, you know, to a more structured training plan is like, I can't run slower. Yes, you can. But it just like it takes practice and work to be able to run more swiftly and, and have a higher turnover, it takes an equal amount of effort to be able to slow yourself down. And the way that we did that um, is that he programmed my workouts to, to run by effort and by time. So no longer am I going out for a five mile run. I'm going out or, you know, a six mile run or a 13 mile run. I'm going out for X number of minutes. You know, my workouts typically are, you know, run easy for up to one hour and easy is defined as, and they have this whole color continuum of how to define how you can work within your mind to define what is easy running. So if you're running at the effort level for your recovery run, you should be able to have a conversation. Um, and not an out of breath conversation, an actual conversation. And one of the people that was, that was leading our, one of my coaching certifications, they called it the Brady bunch case, which I always thought was funny, but I, I will use that with my athletes because most people know the Brady bunch theme song. And he always said, if you can sing the Brady bunch theme song from beginning to end without having to stop and catch your breath, you're running at the right pace, which was an easy recovery pace. So switching from that you know, sort of mentality to running, I have to run this pace for this many miles is running, I need to run for this many minutes at this type of effort level, whether it's running easy at a conversation pace or running at your threshold pace, which is, you know, a certain amount of difficulty and you should be able to speak in maybe sentences or maybe just a few words or short, short phrases. Um, that was a really big switch in my training philosophy and mindset. And once I was able to make that switch, it was like, oh, now I understand that my, my, you know, easier runs were way too fast, way too fast. And I'm still working on slowing them down. I still some days will go out on a recovery run and I know it's, it's that I'm pushing a little bit harder than I need to. But the, but the ultimate, the ultimate, um, you know, lesson in all this is that your body knows stress. It does not know if you ran five miles or if you ran 10 miles or 20 miles, but it knows that you've been on your feet for an hour period. And that's what your body knows. And that's stress. And you have to, you know, you have to put that stress and balance it with rest to see progress. And that's one of the things he said to me over and over is stress plus rest equals progress. and all of a sudden it's like, oh, when my hard workouts or my quality workouts would come on, you know, at one point they were on uh, Mondays and Wednesdays. I'm like, oh, I cannot wait for an easy run. And all of a sudden it became really easy to run much slower because my body just couldn't, you know, go at a faster pace anymore. It needed to slow down to recover. So it's, it's, it's a process. And he has said to me a thousand times, 
trust the process. And I repeat that back to him. And I repeat that in my Instagram post, trust the process, because at the end of the day, all of a sudden you can, you can run 50 miles. And I didn't a million years think I could run 50 miles, but now I can because I trusted the process, but it was a fundamental shift in the way I trained. And, um, you know, it's just been, it's been life-changing to be quite honest. So that's some great stuff to break down. Um, so fundamentally, so it's like RPE, you know, type of training. Um, so effort-based training, time-based training versus mileage, um, which I feel does get a lot of people in trouble because there's a lot of folks out there like me who are very much type A, very goal-oriented, goal-setting types of folks that it has to be 60 miles a week, 50 miles a week, 100 miles a week, whatever the numbers, it doesn't matter. I have to get that in. No, you don't actually have to get it in. Um, B, so there's, there's the mileage folks and there's that have to get to that level. B, if you're running all your paces at the same level, at the same effort, you're not gonna develop your different aerobic systems. You're not gonna become the best version of a runner that you can be. And again, this is not about you wanting to make podiums, chasing fast times. That's not fulfilling to you. That's not important to Karen. It might be important to me. It might be important to somebody else, but it's not important to you at all, okay? What's important to you is being the best version of yourself as a runner, being healthy, being strong, and being able to have an impact on others with your running, other groups, other people individually. So it's very different. In your case, by running everything at the same pace, it just it's a prescription for injury, 100%. Whether that's running it too slowly or too hard, it just, your body is just getting the same treatment and same dosage over and over again. So one of the biggest things I try to tell beginner runners is if you're going to do your running on a treadmill, I'm like, I don't care what you think, put that treadmill on like three miles an hour when you start, literally three miles an hour, like so slow that you're going to be like agitated that it's that slow. Because if I see one more person jump on a treadmill in a gym and they're cranking the thing up and I hear them like gasping for air and they're not even like 30 seconds into the run, like why? Like, why? You're not warmed up. You're not loose. You're not even close to being ready. And it's like, I think there's this obsession where I have to get my cardio done in 30 minutes or in 45 minutes because I'm lifting and I'm doing this. And we're all trying to smash so many things into this small amount of time that we can do. And you're going to, A, you're going to lose the enjoyment for the run. Because if that day starts with you going so slowly when you're first coming back to running that, you know, you could sing the Brady Bunch song forget sing the Brady Ranch song like you could sing a hundred songs like like it's not any there's no effort if you're really allowing yourself to start that slowly then you're going to be like okay let me push it up a little bit here let me go up a couple of miles an hour then all of a sudden you're like hey I feel pretty good and if you keep going a little further you're going to accomplish a lot you controlled the run versus the run controlling you right and then by using these different paces that Jacob's prescribing to you in different efforts it is going to be easier to run slow because when you ran hard on those days, your body is going to tell you you need recovery. And then if it's 45 minutes, you're not worried about, I have to get five miles in a recovery run. No, you don't. It might be three miles or three and a half miles or whatever the number is. It doesn't matter because you're just following that direction. So long-term it's going to develop your overall systems, more capillary development, more aerobic development. It's going to make you a stronger, healthier runner. And you've also done the most important thing of all, even, even though you have the coaching certification yourself, you've given control of someone else to this process and saying, 
I'm going to trust the process. Say it out loud with the people at home. I'm going to trust the process because if you don't trust the person that's guiding your running program, you're never going to be successful working together. It's very simple. Um, it doesn't have to be a famous runner like Jacob Puzzi. It could be anybody. It can be Coach Z. It can be anyone, whoever the coach is. If you don't have a fundamental trust level with that person who's writing your program out and emailing you or texting you, or maybe you're doing Zoom calls, whatever it is, there's got to be trust. You have to be able to say, hey, Karen, I'm not feeling it this week. I'm My husband and I aren't getting along. My job, I just got laid off. Um, I'm feeling a lot of stress around the holiday time. I'm I might not even run at all this week. And if you have a strong relationship like Karen does with Jacob or Karen does with her own athletes, you have to be able to say and read the room for that person. Like, you know what? You're right. Let's just take this week off, you know, go in the pool, swim, ride a bike, whatever, do whatever you need to do, but just unwind and let's get back to it next week or whatever. Or if somebody's feeling a little beat up or a little banged up, you know, get on the table, get to your sports Cairo, um, get back to foam rolling, get back to those other things that help you, you know, get the Norma Tech boots on, man, whatever your modalities that you can engage, you know, to help on the health side for your physical aspect of your body is one thing, but the mental piece is really where the changes are occurring for you because you're given the control over to somebody else to help you know kind of navigate the process for you. So cool, really, really good stuff. And so how long have you guys been working together now? It'll, it's just short of a year. It'll be a year, I think, I don't know why I remember this date, January 18th, I think. It'll be a year, so just shy of a year right now. Cool, super. Um, and, you know, I want to go back to like the overall bigger theme, like with your running, running for others, um, trying to help others with your running, you know, to ha having a larger purpose is, is a huge piece of, you know, why you're out there, uh, whether it's on a treadmill running around in your neighborhood, it doesn't matter. Um, that's really your why that's your, re the reason why you're so deeply engaged, um, and committed to your own running. So it's kind of a combination of community service to me. I always end my segments on community service, like what's something you're doing. So for me, this is community service. Your running is about community service. So you could go all the way back to your original leukemia stuff, you know, to start with, and then maybe we could just kind of finish up on how you've really made your focus the last 18 months, like running for ribs and running about uh, directing your energies towards running for ribs and team ribs and stuff like that. And maybe we could kind of finish up with that. How does that sound? Yeah, sounds great. Um, so yeah, like, like I said, the, the whole running for others started with my friend Jen, and it's always in the back of my head. I had started a, you know, it wasn't a company or anything. It was just kind of a tagline, jogging for Jen was my 10. I had some shirts made, which I look back now, I was like, wow, I was doing it in like the, the programs I was doing that stuff in was archaic. But, you know, I had some t-shirts printed and, you know, with her picture on it. And, you know, I had a logo and I had a newsletter that I sent out and a website at one time. And, you know, I, I spent four years of my, you know, of my life raising funds and running. A lot of it was just five and 10 Ks or just training. And, um, you know, that kind of sprung forward into, in 2010, I joined up with team and training again, this time in California. Before that, I was in uh, Chicago and then I had moved to San Diego. And so I joined up with team and training again, um, simply because I was getting back into running and, 
you know, we were trying to start a family unsuccessfully at that time. And so I was like, I needed to focus on something, joined up with team and training in California, met a bunch of great people out there. Um, and one of them at the, at the time, um, we were all training for the San Diego rock and roll half marathon. And he was, um, part of team and training, but he was part of a much larger initiative on his own. And he was going to try and set the Guinness world record for number of miles run in a week. And I don't remember the actual record. It was like 353. He ended up smashing it, spoiler alert, and ran 408 in one week, culminating with this the San Diego uh, Rock and Roll Half Marathon. And as part of team and training, I just kind of fell into this group of people who were involved with his effort. And so I was out there every day. I had a very, um, very forgiving boss who would let me leave work, you know, half days and go and go spend the time down on the the waterfront supporting his effort as he was running um, 52 plus miles a day. And you know, I became part of this, just this huge initiative where he raised, I think it was $60,000 for the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, which we were all doing. And um, it was this huge effort. Again, it's just like, it's part of this effort that is just so worldly. And it was just such a huge undertaking to see somebody run that many miles. I couldn't fathom running, you know, 52 miles in a day, let alone 400 and some in a week. Um, and he continues to be one of my greatest inspirations. His name's Mike Sheehy. And, um, he loves to ghost me and, and he will, I'll talk to him like, you know, 10 times in a month and then I won't talk to him for five years. And he's, he's funny like that, but he's one of my, still one of my greatest inspirations. And, um, several years back he had some, you know, heart troubles and he now has his best running friend as his pacemaker. And he was out running a few years ago. I'm like, you know what, if this guy's out running with his pacemaker, I'm running, like, I'm, I'm going to run, like I can do this. Um, so I always have him in the back of my mind too. It's like, like these are just, the, and so he's, he's alive and well, and he's running and he's doing this and that, but like, I still have him as one of my whys, you know, fast forward, I get, you know, I have kids and then I don't run for a long time and find myself again. And, and then the pandemic hits and I'm running and I'm training and I'm like, well, I'm running around the circles in my neighborhood. And, you know, I didn't really have any purpose. I was just running. and this guy that I know who has this brother, who's an incredible athlete, all of a sudden falls very ill, as you know. And I was like, Oh no, this is, this is a, this is the thing. And, and this Tommy guy really needs, needs the support of, you know, it, it wasn't about the, the funds or the dollars to me. It was about, um, let's just get behind this guy, right? Let's, let's breathe life into him with some words that Jacob used. Let's breathe life into him by, by running, by walking, by moving, moving our bodies. And I immediately was, was drawn to this story, both because he was such a, he is such an amazing person and runner and athlete and father and husband and friend and brother. And, and then all of a sudden he's just in a hospital bed and he can't move his body or breathe. And let's do that for him collectively. And, and so we kind of all did, right. You were, you were one of them too. And again, that's how we met, but we just kind of, it just, it was this community that came out of thin air literally. And just is, is worldwide. As you know, it's just the reach of this, of this initiative was huge. And when there was an official initiative um, put forth by, a couple of folks out in, in Arizona, 
the, the run with ribs initiative the, the, it was the nine day you know august 1st to august 9th let's do something those nine days and pick it was like choose your own adventure right i don't care what you do nobody cares what you do just move walk you know stand up paddleboard do whatever and i was like well I'm going to train for something. I'm training for something. Let's train for that. That's called training for life. Let's just run. And so I was like, well, I love half marathon. That's my favorite distance to run. And so I said, I'm going to run a half marathon a day for those nine days. And I did. I just, I just, I was trained for the distance. I mean, it wasn't a big deal, but what ended up happening ultimately is that I kind of lost sight of my own self. And I just was, I was so focused on this bigger purpose that I ended up getting injured and I ended up actually breaking my leg, you know, not, not a you know major incident, but I had a tibia fracture because I wasn't resting. I wasn't, you know, Oh wait, I'm trying to coach myself and I'm not doing things the right way. And I run 13 miles and I go back to life and I don't rest. I don't recover. And I have this injury now, but I didn't really care. I was like, you know, this is just all part of this greater purpose. And I, you know, I recovered and all was fine, but that purpose never went away. And it's still with us today. As you know, you you are doing things just like I'm doing it. There's always that greater purpose behind my running. Um, and it kind of does all tie back to, to him and his family, but you know, his, you know, he'll be the first to say, you know, don't, don't do stuff for me, do stuff for other people. Like, like just spread your love into the world. And, you know, life is, life is a gift. Every day is a gift. And so just do something good for somebody else. And so if we're doing something for him, or if we're not, if we're doing something for somebody else, that's meaningful to back to him and to his, you know, purpose and his life philosophy. So it's all kind of coming full circle, I think. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and it's it's been a beautiful rally uh, from the running community. And you said it so well. It literally came from, from nowhere. It did come from nowhere. Um, and whether people really knew Rivs, and I certainly didn't know him. Um, most of the people in my community think I know them, think I really know them. Like, no, I, I don't know Rivs. I mean, yes, I did get to know him when he sent me some beautiful messages after I ran the 60 miles for him and he ended up finding out I got a stress fracture in my knee. Um, so yeah, uh, we share some, uh, we got broken doing miles and doing, uh, some really hard things, but, um, I know I have zero regrets. I mean, it, um, it taught me a lot about myself. Um, it was the coldest day of the winter. And, you know, because of that, you know, it was below zero wind chill because of that, like lots of friends who had planned to come out and run with me just couldn't. And I don't blame anyone. I don't feel like anybody should have or shouldn't have, you know, but people will always say stuff, Karen, you know how it is like, Oh, I'll, I'll come run with you. I'll come meet you. And, you know, at some point you're out there, and um, I think we all learned a lot from Rivs with his grit, you know, going to New York City this year and walking nine hours and 20 some odd minutes. Um, you know, that should show people just how strong the man's will is and how determined he is and also how damaged his body is, his lungs are, that he literally took no, almost nine hours and 30 minutes to walk 26 miles. One of the fittest humans maybe that's ever walked the earth, one of the strongest humans maybe that's ever been here because if it wasn't for his unbelievable strength, he wouldn't be with us. He would never have survived the crazy amount of treatments and rounds of chemo and things they had to do to his body um, to try to get him you know, free of this rare lymphoma, you know, that he had. But uh, yeah, um, in the end, we're out there 
supporting another human. And you said that beautiful. And at some point when I was messaging with Rivs, you know, he pretty much just kind of implored me to like, hey, you've done so much for my family already. You've done so much for us. Like, you know, we're good. You know, like, please, you know, you can, can you help others or, you know, other groups or other families? There's someone out there that's more important. I'm doing a lot better these days. And it just shows you, you know, how selfless he is as a person. Um, and I think he's made that clear. Now there's still things going on for him. You know, Kraft is such an amazing company. You know, we got the, old, I got the old team ribs hoodie on right now with the Kraft on my shoulder. If this, when this makes its way to YouTube eventually, um, you know, Kraft has just been remarkable. Like, so we've done our part as runners and we know so many other runners. We all met because of this wonderful ability of coming together to try to help someone else who needed it, whose family needed it, his beautiful daughters and Steph's amazing writing, which just kind of galvanized. Um, and I wrote to her, she doesn't write back to me because I don't know her at all, but like her words called me to action. Um, and then also I think it was the images of, of this amazing guy, this strong guy, this, this powerful human, like sitting there with like 40 tubes in him and, it just broke me, you know, I, I can't say it any other way, it broke me and her words. And then obviously Jacob played such a huge part, you know, um, you know, your coach with sharing what was going on um, and, you know, kind of putting it out there besides Steph's way more beautiful, hauntingly beautiful, but poetic words that just, they broke you. Um, I know they broke me and I just, I wanted to do something. So I did, and you did, and so many others did. And, um, I think it's wonderful, but I think your overall message is the more important one. There's always going to be another important area to redirect your energy. Um, and you did it, you know, jogging for Jen and with Leukemia Society and meeting this guy who ran 50-something miles per day. It's like it's amazing what humans can do. Um, and we know, um, you know, Rivs' friend, James, you know, the guy doing 100 Ironmans. I mean, the, people are doing just crazy things running across the country. I mean, it's remarkable what we're actually capable of doing. But what, what I'm more proud to see is that we're directing some of these really hard physical activities and things that are incredibly demanding and hard to do around giving back, raising money, and trying to help others. So I think that's really the overall message of this episode, man. It's like running for others, man, using your running, you know, for a purpose, you know, finding a purpose to your running. And right now it's still going to be directed at ribs, but you know, maybe six months from now or a year from now, you're going to find something else that has you just as excited and wanting to move the needle for that cause and spread the word. And I also think you said something else that was great. It's not about how much money you raise, okay? People get way too fixated on that, just like they get fixated on how fast they run or their time. Like, you know, it doesn't matter. Like when I went out to run that 60 miles, I convinced myself, I have to do this run. I made a pact with myself. I was gonna run 60 miles for it. It's like, I have to finish. I mean, I was frozen, man. I couldn't even feel parts of my body. And I luckily had two friends who kind of met me at points and helped, that helped my day. And I went on Facebook Live and talked to people. And, you know, in your case, you know, you're doing, you did a 100K run, right? I did. I, you know, this year I ran 
Well, I did run a marathon, ironically, now that you've mentioned yeah, the Iron Cowboy, James. Um, yes. So he had he had a virtual event, you know, and I, of course, have followed, followed him and he had a virtual event and I was like, I'm going to do the marathon. And I was like, I told Jacob, I was like, I don't even want to do this even at all, like not even a little bit, which means I should probably do it. He's like, well, you're going to have to do one for your build up to the 50 miler anyway. So make it make it for a, a good cause. And so I did the, you know, the Iron Cowboy, which supported another charity. And so I did that and I ran a marathon. I ran a well, pretty substantial PR just because I don't run marathon. And and I still didn't like, I still hated the marathon. I still, do, I still don't like it. And, but I did it. And I was like, so I did that. And I did, um, you know, um, Jacob's virtual run series this year, which was the, I, I chose the ultra series. There was, you could do um, different distances. And I chose one that was 25 K a 50 K a 50 mile and a 100 K spaced out throughout 2021. And ultimately that was all benefiting bigger than the trail, which is a, um, an organization to shed light on mental health. And that cause is super important to me. And it wasn't a big money raiser, you know, fundraiser, but it was about spreading the word. And so ultimately my, my goal race this year was the hundred K, which I just did on my 47th birthday, which was two weeks ago. And again, I was like, I went, I didn't raise some huge dollar amount, but it was about, I have people talking about it. I said, just share. If you share and like my post, that gets the word out and that starts people talking. And so it's let, like you said, it's not always about the dollars. It's about the awareness. And that's always been my, my thing. It's, it's raising funds and awareness about these bigger causes. So this year was about ribs and it, and it, you know, probably forever will be, it's so ingrained in me now. It's just kind of leukemia will always be there. Um, ribs will always be there. And mental health is such a huge part of all this that that's always going to be there. And I'm actually, you know, I'm part of the bigger than the trail ambassador team for 2022, which is great. So it'll continue to be a focus. Um, it was just, it really was a great way to, to tie it all together this year. I love it. It's so inspiring the work you're doing. And I love that you're not going to get sucked into the fundraising piece being the only way that you can validate why this is important because it is not what's most important. Sharing the information, getting the message out, that's what's the most important thing. Um, and so what you've done this year and what many, many others have done this year have spread the message about RIVs and Bigger Than the Trail, you know, with Jacob's series. These are super important things and they're community-based and they're a focus on things you're doing for your run using your running for others. So kudos to you for that and for kicking ass, man, R rocking a hundred K in your 47th birthday and you're healthy, man. You see, you can do this. You could do these longer distances and stay healthy. So you're making huge progress, which is great. So, um, um, I'm inspired, you know, keep it up and we'll make sure when we put the show notes out for this one, if you do have active links open for either the bigger than the trail initiative or still for ribs or anything else out there, we can include that in the show notes. Instagram doesn't do links, but this goes to Facebook as well. And also the show notes does do links. So my producer will tag those and put those in there. So if it's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever and somebody hears it and feels compelled after listening to your story, like, oh, I want to help bigger than the trail or I want to help Rivs, I want to do something, you'll, they'll be able to click and, and do something if they feel that that's something they want to step forward with. Super. 
Cool. Well, listen, it's been a blast getting to know you. I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. Um, it's awesome. And uh, it's fun for us to get a chance to meet this way. Hopefully someday we'll actually get to meet in, in real life, you know, IRL, maybe at a race, a trail race or an ultra or something, you know, who knows. Um, I'm looking for a hundred mile or somewhere. Maybe I'll have to have Jacob coach me up for that myself, but um, I just can't do one of these ones that require 30,000 feet of climbing and ski poles and all of that madness. I need something more like, you know, I don't mind hills. I like hills and, and distance running and an ultras. I just, I don't want something crazy technical where I might go off a cliff and be like checked out of the universe. I want to stick around for a while, you know? I'm telling you, they have the Keys 100. It's, it's kind of been a bucket list race of mine. I have zero, I will tell you zero desire to run a hundred miles. I just don't like. I think I'm going to go back to half marathon, although I've been talking about running Chicago marathon under a charity bib because I didn't get picked in the lottery this year. I don't know why I threw my name in the hat, but, um, you know, the keys 100 is a really cool race and they have many options. It's flat and it's just from one key to another and it's hundred miles. It's self-supported. So that's the only, that's the only trick. It's a self-supported uh, a race, but it's flat and it's pretty. I think that's the big, that's the biggest thing for me. Um, like I, you know, you know, your strengths and weaknesses and I know mine, like I'm a social person. So like when I do an ultra and I go through those aid stations and I can talk to those people or maybe even give them a hug or crack a joke, it makes my day. Um, and hopefully it makes some of their days, you know, that some crazy dude is like coming in and cracking jokes and doing stupid shit and trying <laughs> to keep them entertained because they're out there all day, man, with giving of their time, you know, which is wonderful. Um, and crewing and all like, I self self uh, supported. I have a guy who came on my show. He ran a hundred miles at Boston. So he ran the Boston course like four times to raise awareness for diabetes. Uh, he has diabetes himself. So it wasn't just an amazing undertaking, but again, his was self-supported. He ended up having a friend maybe meet him somewhere out there in the course and gave him some pizza and some snacks that he'd asked for. But for the most part, he was like stopping at like seven 11s in the middle of the night and picking <laughs> yep. up supplies. And I just, I don't, I know myself. I don't think I could do that. Um, the keys are beautiful. I need a race where there's going to be people around and, you know, maybe we just kind of keep going around in some sort of loop fashion or I don't know, but we'll figure it out. But anyway, I, I appreciate you so much and, um, you know, coming on, sharing your story and I uh, wish you all the best this year with your, uh, 2022 running and training. Hope it goes smoothly for you. And, uh, as we say at the end of every episode, we tell everybody to keep lacing them up keep getting out the door and always remember to stay in the fight. Wow. I've really enjoyed that one. So appreciative to Karen for coming on and sharing her inspiring story. She's a big heart and I love how she's just discovered her why and focused all of her running for causes, running for others that can't, running for things that really matter to her and are meaningful. And it adds so much greater context to her running and it brings her so much more happiness. Also enjoyed learning about the Happy Mama Project and how much uh, her family played a role in helping her to find herself again, ultimately, mainly by carving out time for herself and not focusing just on her children and her husband and always running is at the center of all of these stories. How does running make us the best version of ourselves, the best mom, the best wife, the best all around human being? Um, so I appreciate so much of 
what Karen shared today, and I know it's going to resonate with lots of folks out there in the running community. So if you get the opportunity and this episode moves you in any way, please take a moment on Apple Podcasts, write a quick review. It really helps us get new people subscribing to the Run Chats channel, gets more people listening to the show, sharing these inspiring stories like Karen's, and ultimately helps us get more awesome guests like her to come on my show and share their stories. So thank you all for every one of you who takes time out of your day to do that on Apple Podcasts, to share it on Instagram, on Facebook, on Strava, or any other place out there where we have the ability to share stories that inspire. So I appreciate all of you so much who continue to do that and help us grow our reach and the positivity of our platform. So as we say at the end of every episode, keep lacing them up, my friends. Keep getting out the door. And always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends.